Good morning, everybody. It is the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council Radio Hour. This is the last in a special series of three shows that we are bringing you about all things fire in Mendocino County. This is Elizabeth Archer. I am joined in the studio today by Mendocino County Fire Safe Council Executive Director Scott Craddy. Hi, Scott. Morning. We also have on the line via Zoom, technology continues to amaze me, the new Cal Fire Mendocino Unit Chief, Luke Kendall. Welcome to the show, Luke. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So, as with the last show, I am here to sort of navigate this conversation. I'm going to let Scott and Luke mostly take it away, and I will interject occasionally. So, without further ado, go for it. Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. And I'm just going to start with a brief intro and point out that predicting things is tricky business. In case you've ever noticed, the experts usually get it wrong. But one prediction that seems like a good bet is that wildfire season's going to be long and intense. And this year will probably be worse than last year. And if not, next year will. There's going to be smoke in the skies. There are going to be times when we're all nervous at best. But there's some good news. Um, the first, as we're going to get into later in the show, is that there's a lot you can do to increase your chances of coming out okay if wildfire happens in your area. And secondly, there's some a lot of really great people in the Cal Fire Mendocino unit who are doing their level best to get ready and to help protect us all through this season. So we're really fortunate today to have some time with the new Cal Fire unit chief, um, Chief Kendall. And today's show is going to be kind of an introduction into what Cal Fire does, um, what they're focusing on, and how they're how the exactly they're getting ready. But we want to start uh, by finding out a little bit about Chief Kendall. And I just want to ask you if you can give us a, a bit of an overview of your work history and um, and then a bit about what got you into this line of work. What what motivates you to do it? Okay, well, I, uh, I started 31 years ago with uh, CDF or CAL FIRE. Now it was CDF then. Um, and uh, I was basically born and raised in uh, CAL FIRE. My dad worked for uh, CDF for 24 correction, 25 years. Uh, he was stationed out in Cobolo. And uh, it's just kind of what the family, my family does is public service. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of what we did. My brother is also in Cal Fire. And, uh, and then my other brother is uh, a sheriff, the sheriff of Mendocino County. So uh, it's just kind of what we do. Okay. <clears throat> family tradition. Um, awesome. Probably a lot of great experience passed on there, and we'll maybe touch on some of that. Um, let's start by – actually, I'm going to jump down a little bit into what I was going to talk about, because in 25 years in the in the service, you've um, undoubtedly covered a whole lot of different areas. And that's one of the things that struck me recently. I, there was a notice for um, a promotion that Chad Smith got, um, and it mentioned – you know, the range of things he'd done in his time there from hell attack to ambulance to uh, fire apparatus engineer to a division group supervisor to a strike team leader to dozers and a hazmat specialty um, and, a, and a bunch of other things. And it just kind of really struck me that there's a whole kind of world of of careers within CAL FIRE. Um, can you give us a little bit more of a tour of kind of the, the things you've you've been able to experience through your years there? Yeah, um, I've 
spent the majority of my time on uh, working on fire engines, but I had the opportunity to work out at one of our conservation camps. Uh, uh, I worked at Deadwood Camp, which is up in the Siskiyou unit, uh, and I overseen the inmate program for um, for our uh, for that unit. I also worked in our prevention bureau, which uh, dealt with law enforcement. I did pre-fire engineering, uh, which uh, worked with the fire safe councils and um, helped people prepare for, um, you know, the upcoming fire season and new building regulations and, and things like that, that also help um, protect people's property and their investments. Um, there's a, a wide variety of things that Cal Fire provides. You know, if you wanted to be a uh, bulldozer operator or if you wanted to work on a hand crew or if you wanted to work in the air program, um, there's just many, many different things uh, that we provide. And uh, it, it's a great opportunity to, to get out and do a lot of different things. Um, we also have, uh, you know, front office staff that deal with personnel finance um you know we have folks that do uh, public information uh there's a, a wide variety of things that the department uh has to offer and it's it, it is a really good job yeah it's a whole world i mean even from the fire safe council perspective when we start to look at um, everything we'd need to do to get ready as a county the um the range of things is is kind of staggering and i think cal fire is even a even even more so so kind of an amazing range of things and we'll get into that a little bit um just how large is the mendocino unit roughly how many people are there we have just over 400 people that work in the unit um and that's from you know our front office staff all the way uh to the the seasonal firefighter uh normally we bring on about 178 seasonal employees. Those are the seasonal firefighters and they uh, help staff the 16 engines that we have. Uh, we also staff two uh, firefighter one hand crews out at uh, Chamberlain Creek Fire Center. We also um, have some of those employees staff the Ukiah Air Attack Base uh, and then the Howard Force Hell Attack Base. So we have a wide variety of opportunities for firefighters um, to, to work in many different avenues here in this unit. I had no idea it was so big. That's a lot of, that's a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And it's a hard, it, you know, it's a lot to keep ahead of and manage, you know, there's, um, you know, we start our hiring processes in uh, March and we have just completed our uh, last or this week, we're completing our last um, rehire academy. And so it takes a while to bring all those folks on, get them up to speed with, uh, you know, the new training for the year and to get them prepared for, you know, what we're going to be experiencing this year. And, you know, also they have to um, go through their annual training for, you know, medical and, uh, like you said, hazmat and, you know, structural firefighting. There's many, many different things that they have to uh, come up to speed on, um, new techniques and things like that. Uh, we also train them uh, with water rescue and um, confined space. They also go through um, rope rescue. There, there's many different avenues out there to keep them uh, trained and ready for whatever emergency comes into play. 
So as I mentioned before the show started, my husband was Cal Fire for 11 seasons. His sister, my sister-in-law, is still Cal Fire. Her husband is Cal Fire, so definitely have that in the family. I'm wondering, is it still as competitive um, to apply to become a new firefighter as it was maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago? Is it more competitive? How many new applicants do you get every year for how many open positions? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it, it really, we have seen a decline in um, our um, in the firefighter ranks. I think that it's easier to get a job now than it, it has been. When I first started in the fire service, you know, we would apply for city departments and things like that, and there would be, you know, five jobs for 7,000 applicants. Whoa. You know, and, <laughs> Everyone uh, wants to be a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so I think that's changed just a little bit. Um, it's still competitive. You still have to uh, put the time in prior to getting a job, um, you know, going, going, being a volunteer, uh, getting that training, going through community colleges, things like that, because there's a lot that goes into becoming a firefighter. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's definitely uh, easier. There's more jobs now than there was, um, you know, back 20 years ago. Um, but it, it's still a competitive process for sure. Um, let's get a little bit more of a history of the unit. Is the unit just Mendocino County? What what does it cover? And you, you mentioned I, I, there's, I think, think an awful darn lot of pieces to it too, from air attack to uh, you got a command center that you you cover communications for. I think more than Cal Fire. Can you give us a sense of where and where and what all you cover? Yeah, pretty much the Mendocino unit is. Uh, it pretty much encompasses all of Mendocino County. It it uh, drains over a little bit into uh, Glen and and some of the counties that. Uh, butt up against us, but pretty much all of Mendocino County is the Mendocino unit. Uh, we have uh, six field battalions. Uh, the, the unit is broken up into six field battalions. And then we have six support battalions. We have an ECC battalion. We have a training battalion. We have a relief battalion, which also helps out with the field battalions. And they, uh, they also deal with our vegetation management stuff. We have an air uh, battalion. We have a prevention battalion, and then we have a fleet battalion, which uh, handles all of our um, rolling stock that we keep on the road. Yeah, it's an awful lot. Um, just like one little piece of that, I know you know from the Fire Safe Council perspective, we interact a fair lot with vegetation management. Um, how big an operation is that? Is that is that a whole separate? I mean, is that is that kind of a year-round piece of things? It is, and uh, that's what um, Chad Smith was involved with. Uh, that was the relief battalion, which also overseen the vegetation management portion of it. And he works with the field battalions to uh, and the fire safe councils uh, to identify projects and then go out and make sure that we get all the paperwork and all the um CEQA and all the environmental impact stuff done and then uh, we go out and execute whatever we're going to try to do if it's doing fuels modification or if it's burning or um, you know whatever uh, the landowner and the folks that we're working with if it's the fire state council or you know a, a landowner or you know say it's on 
um, the Corps of Engineers land or whatever, we, we try to um, tailor whatever, what kind of fuels modifications that they need into fire safety. Uh, and we try to, you know, help them work through the process. And if it's burning or if it's, you know, fuels modification, we work through that and try to get it executed. Cool. And that's, uh, we've got all those battalions and units and pieces and 400 plus people. And that's just sort of part of the complexity because in any given incident, there's also uh, some local fire districts that might be involved and perhaps the forest service and emergency services. And you know, uh, how how does all that come together? I and mean, where how, how do you know who's in charge when something happens around here? And how does that <laughs> That's a, that's a really good question. It, what it boils down to is uh, everybody has their own jurisdictions and um, there's a local jurisdiction, there's a state jurisdiction and a federal jurisdiction. Um, and basically we have maps and uh, everybody gets to know their area. And uh, then whoever is the, um, you know, whoever's responsible for that uh that ground is normally the incident commander. Uh, once once we send a response to an area, um, you know whoever is first at scene will take command until whoever is responsible for the fire shows up. So, say it's in Covalo and it's in the state responsibility area, but Covalo fire shows up at scene first. They will take command of the incident. They'll start running the incident until CAL FIRE shows up, and then we'll transfer command to CAL FIRE, and then we will run the incident. And it's no different than if we showed up first and it was in their jurisdiction, same thing. Whoever shows up first would take command of the incident, run the incident until they show up, and then we just uh, you know, turn the command over to them and support them. We hear the tones going on in the background. Do you uh, you need to respond to something? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, the there's always things going on in Mendocino County, and you know the it seems like you know our command center dispatches between 30 and 60 incidents a day, and so the the radio is constantly going on. You know, 30 to 60 incidents <clears throat> a day, all related yeah. to fire. Is some of that medical? Well, yeah, medical, EMS, uh, you know, traffic accidents, you know, anything and everything that you would call 911 for, you know, comes through. Uh, if it's related to fire or medical, it comes through our command center, and then we dispatch that out. And for the local districts, the uh, EMS providers, and then obviously for fire, it would, you know, we would send our uh, response as well so this is a deep cut but i always found the tones so interesting um and i think most people don't know what those are so can you just explain briefly how those work yeah basically the and i'm i'm no radio tech but basically <laughs> the um you know the command center sets off tones which will um it's specific to a, uh, an agency, whatever agency, and then it will set off their pagers, and uh, then it'll open their pagers up, alert them that they have something to listen to, and then the command center will give the message, and then that you know they would respond to whatever emergency the tones went off for. So each agency has its own set of tones, basically those little like beeping noises yep. you hear. I don't know. Yep. I just think that's so. Um, what an elegant way to alert an agency to, to their their need to respond. Yeah, when I was a kid in Kobolo, like I said, my 
mom and dad have been in public service for years and years. And in our house, there was a, it was called a fire phone. So when there was a fire in Covalo or a medical call, uh, there was several phones throughout Covalo that uh, in everybody's house that it would ring differently than your regular phone. They would go grab the phone somebody from Howard Forrest would give them the information that they needed, and then they would make a decision on who would go to the call. So uh, over the phone, and now we're doing it over the radio, which is so much more efficient. Yeah, no kidding. Well, speaking of the radio, that's where we are. Let me take a minute to reintroduce us. This is the Mendocino County Fire Safe Radio Hour. It is a the third in a three-part series. If you have enjoyed listening to our interviews and discussions, you can send an email to dj at kzyx.org. Put Fire Safe Council in the topic line. Let us know if there's anything else you'd like to hear on the radio in the future, and maybe we'll make that happen. I am Elizabeth Archer. I am joined in the studio today by Scott Craddy, the Executive Director of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. And we have on the line Luke Kendall. Luke is the new Cal Fire Mendocino Unit Chief. And we're we're so happy to have you. Just, uh, quickly on the diversion of radio programs. Uh, this is actually our second series. We did um, a whole set of them um, a year, year and a half uh-huh. ago. Um, and should you be interested in checking those out, and they cover a great range of topics from getting your home ready to what to do if you have animals and you need to be prepared for wildfire season to take care of your animals. Um, our website is firesafebendicino.org. We'll talk a little bit more about it down the road, but there's a tremendous amount of resources in there, uh, including a video series on how to harden your home, uh, six steps to get ready for wildfire season, which we're going to probably talk about a little later. And under community resources, there is the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council Radio Hour. So you can click on there and see what the topics were on past shows and and, um, and play through those again if you want to. And back to this show. We were just talking about how much activity there is and how many calls. And we are just at the first day of summer. Uh, That's right. Happy summer, everyone. Yep. Um, and it seems to me we're already pretty deeply in fire season. Um, do you have any sense chief kendall about how many fire calls the unit has already been out on this year yeah up to june 1st so i'm a little bit behind on that but uh we we responded to 18 correction 15 uh fires within the unit uh up to year to date that was uh, june 1st uh and then we also assisted with the local government uh 18 fires so you know we're in the mid 30s uh so far uh, you know, for responses within the county. Uh, and we've already burned, you know, about 54 acres or something um, on on uh, wildland fires within the county. Yep. And with the heat this week, I would guess you're probably expecting it, like an incident a day or more. I mean, what, what do you, I mean, in a situation like this, what do you, what do you, what are you thinking is likely to be the intensity? Yeah, I think that we're getting to the time of year and the fuels are starting to dry out. You know, that the rain that we got uh, over the last few months really has helped um, kind of extended our burning season. You know, uh, normally, uh, well, historically, we used to put the burn band in July 1st. 
Um, but over the last, probably since 2014, 2015, we've been putting that burn band in earlier and earlier. And uh, this year in February, I was really looking at it going, man, we're going to have to put the burn band into effect pretty early. But then we got a little bit of those rains. And, you know, we like to extend that as long as we can because we want folks to uh, get out and do their 4291 clearance, their clearance around their homes, and be able to way to get rid of that vegetation in a safe manner. So, um, you know, with that late rain, we were able to extend the, the burn band. I just put it in uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, so now we're you know, but there shouldn't be any burning going on, residential burning going on in Mendocino County. And uh, I think that with the things that are drying out around the county, we, you know, we're certainly at a place where we could start to see vegetation fires frequently. Um, and, it, you know, everybody's got to do their part by, you know, assuring if you're, uh, you know, towing a a uh, trailer or something like that assure you don't have anything that's dragging on the road that could cause sparks because if you look at the fuel loading today compared to what it's been in the past with that late rain our uh, grasses are a lot uh, denser and a lot taller than we've seen in the last few years because of the, the droughts that we're in so uh, people definitely need to be careful this year and uh, please get out and do your uh, defensible space around your homes uh, and be prepared for the upcoming fire season. So it's definitely a time of year to be mowing and weed whacking, but not during the hottest part of the day, right? That's a very good point. We, we certainly want people to uh, get out and do the right thing, but we want them to do it at the right time of day where they're not going to cause an, an issue. You know, uh, lawnmowers are designed for green grass, you know, not uh, dry grass up on the hillside because that could cause the, a fire. We want people to use the right tool for the right um, application, you know, and, you know, weed eaters are for weeds and, and getting out there and doing that, that right work. Um, and you got to do it during the right time of day when the humidity is up. That's why we're always saying we want everybody to do their um, weed eating and stuff like that prior to 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, because there's still a little bit of dew on the ground, which will help us. So thank you for saying that. Yep, super good point. Um, when we get to, so we've got our, our six steps to uh, being ready for wildfire season. And bonus step number seven is to um, know how to not start fires because humans still cause most of the fires. So we uh, we start off most of our problems and certainly um, not having power equipment out there uh, at the wrong times is a big one, making sure you have water sources ready uh, if you're out there using power equipment. Um, and um, just give a shout out to Steve Henderson, who's a local who's um, done a, a, a dedicated campaign to uh, get people to stop dragging chains and to do a lot of education about that, uh, including producing uh, sort of fire hose sheaths that can go around the chains, but um, vehicles on roadsides are another sort of huge way that fires start. So let's not do that. Yeah, Steve's campaign is cool. It's called the One Less Spark Campaign. And like Scott said, he has designed these trailer chain covers out of old fire hoses, which is just a cool symbiosis. Um, I think folks could probably Google that, or what's the best way if people want a, a trailer chain cover? 
um, from Steve. Actually, gave us a case of them, so he can just some people can write into the um, our admin at firesafebendicino.org. And, and how much do they cost? They are free. They're free. If I were trading time and I had the bell, I would ring it. There you go. We have free trailer chain covers. Yeah. Call or email the FireSafe Council. You can find our information on the website, firesafemendocino.org. Yep. And the trick is just getting to them. You'd probably have to come to Ukiah to pick them up. But um, anyway, so we are talking about wildfire in the county and how it's developing. And um, you know, one of the things sort of historically um, is that we've always or mainly considered wildfire an inland Mendocino kind of issue. But I get the sense that is no longer the case, that it is now more of a county-wide problem and that the, the units had to kind of evolve to expect demand county-wide. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's always been a threat on the coast, but, it, it, you know, really the threats are on the shoulders of fire season. It's in the springtime and in the fall. Uh, it, that's when we see most of the fires on the coast because in the in middle of fire season or when it's the hottest part of the year, there's normally there's a lot of fog that comes in on the coast. But I think that people that live on the coast have seen that there's been definitely a change with that. And, you know, the the fog it doesn't go as deep and um so that's always an issue so even the folks that live on the coast certainly need to do their uh, due diligence and you know do clearance around their homes and be prepared for uh, a wildfire and you know this year we've already burnt 35 acres um over in south of point arena from a wind-driven fire that started and uh you, you know it it burned as good as it would have if it was uh inland or um you know a little bit later in the fire season so you know the the timber is definitely dry and uh with the grass drying out uh you know that just carries that fuel into the the timber and then we're off to the races so you certainly got to do your part by being prepared, you know, have a plan, uh, and and definitely rehearse that and and get, you know, that should be something in your daily conversations within your household that hey, if there is a fire, you know, we we've already discussed that we know how we're going to deal with the emergency and it's not going to be a crisis. We're going to rehearse it and we're going to just follow through what what our plan is, and we'll be uh, safe doing that. Great. Um, so heading into this new season, um, what, what's different from last year? What, what is, what is Cal Fire doing that's any kind of evolution this year relative to prior years to get ready for fire season? Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're adding more crews, um, than what we've seen in the past, uh, when it comes to firefighter one crews, you know, uh, we opened our fire center two years ago and we're still working through that, but, uh, we're enhancing that and and getting um, you know, more folks available for emergency response. Um, the uh, we're also you know working with the uh, three C's on putting in a fire crew in Ukiah, and so well it's going to be in Willits when it's all said and done. But right now they're out of the Ukiah Center, and uh, that's always a a positive thing working with collaborators and cooperators to assure that we are meeting the needs. Uh, of the public so that's another thing that we're uh, working through this year um, we're certainly like i said we're geared up now we've got all the the aircraft in mendocino county we've got the two tankers at ukiah and the air attack 
we've got <clears throat> excuse me we've got uh howard force hell attack uh, fully staffed um we're still going to be running the super huey this year uh and hopefully by next year we will have our uh, firehawk up and running um but it's not in the the unit as of yet um but you know that's something to be uh, looking forward to towards the end of fire season or early next year so uh again we, we've got 16 engines uh you know the, the several crews in the unit the aircraft um i think we're ready for fire season whatever is thrown at us we're ready to respond i would love to talk a little bit more about the aircraft and the air response um so even though we are the Mendocino unit, CAL FIRE is a statewide agency and, you know, each unit certainly supports the other units as needed. Um, it will even sometimes send crews out of state if if needed because California is so well equipped to fight fire. Can you talk a little bit about the response area of both the, you know, we have um, planes at the airport in Ukiah. We have a at least one helicopter, but it sounds like more than one helicopter up at uh, Howard and Willits. Are there any other air bases? And you know, how far will those those aircraft go? Yeah, they go all over the state. Um, we try. It, they have strategically placed um, the air assets throughout California, where they should be uh, overlapping within twenty minutes, thirty minute flight time, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, we have a helicopter at Howard Forest. There's one at Boggs in Lake County, um, and that's within a twenty minute, thirty minute ring. There's uh, also a helicopter that's up in um humboldt and so they, they intersect uh you know within a 20 to 30 minute flight time of each other and yeah when we have um fires we send a response so our aircraft can be you know all over the north state at any given time earlier uh, last week we sent uh, the two tankers, the air attack, and the copter uh, to the fire in Tehama County. That's a pretty standard uh, day for them. You know, they, they could be on um, incidents throughout the North State and then be home for dinner, depending on uh, where it is. So uh, it's it's pretty amazing um, how quickly they can respond. And, you know, it, it's a, a really good effort. Um, each unit has some type of uh, assets that they throw at it, and um, we uh, try to combat fires as quickly as we can. Can I ask maybe a, a dumb question? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't they fly at night? Uh, we are working towards that. Um, with the new uh, helicopters that we have, the Firehawks, um, I think that you'll start to see that in the coming years. Um, but there is definitely a risk. To flying at night and uh, you know you got to put the right resource with the with the right capabilities there to do it and with the new Blackhawks that are coming uh, they do have those capabilities so uh, I think that you're going to see that you know in the near the coming years. Cool. Um, so one of the things that I get the sense has changed recently you mentioned you're working with the the Conservation Corps which is awesome um, really great organization. Um, in prior years, the convict labor has been kind of a big part of, of the firefighting scene, and I get the sense that, that um, that's changed a lot recently. Can you fill us in about how that's evolving? 
Yeah, that definitely has uh, changed a little bit. You know, Chamberlain Creek and Parlin Fork are our two camps here in um, the Mendocino unit. Uh, Parlin Fork is still uh, an inmate camp. Um, back just a few years ago, there was five crews at each uh, camp. And with the early release program and all the, the changes when it comes to um, you know, incarceration uh, that has limited our abilities to use uh, hand crews, firefighter inmate hand crews. And so what we have today in Mendocino County um, at Parlin Fort Camp, uh, right now we're down to one crew. Uh, we, we certainly, if there's more inmates that come, we will add more crews to that. But right now we're sitting at one crew at, out at Parlin. Well, there's a big shift. Um, jump a little bit here. And so one of the things that in, in terms of getting us, we're going to kind of move into how we, how we get out of the situation with so much wildfire, uh, in the longer run down the road. And, you know, one of the things that seems to me to be super important is to get back to a pattern of more planned, methodical, prescribed burning. So there's, uh, particularly around places where we have populations, um, how is that program evolving in Cal Fire, and what are what are the what are the roadblocks? To, I mean, I'm, let's start off with: Do you agree that really stepping up prescribed burning has got to be part of the program? And if so, well, what do we need to what do we need to change to get us there? Yeah, I think that uh, prescribed fire is a great tool for us to to use. I don't think it's uh, you know I don't think that we're going to get out of our fuels problem with one prong approach. Uh, I think that it's a multi-pronged approach, and I think that, uh, you know, prescribed fire is a great tool uh, for doing large-scale stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I also think that fuels modification around people's homes, um, putting in shaded fuel breaks, uh, you know, doing our part with fuels modification, with mechanical and hand piling are, are all very important aspects of that. And I don't think that we can just burn our way out of the problem. I think that uh, I think that is a major factor and it's it's a very good tool, but uh, it has to be done in the right time of year. And it's got to be done in a safe manner where we uh, don't cause more problems than uh, what we're trying to fix so um yeah i i think that um in mendocino county we're you know they've done a very good job over the last several years here of doing uh, large-scale control burns uh, we are working towards continuing that um with burning and fuel work as you know scott it it, it takes environmental review and it takes people to do that and um that that is always um not roadblocks but it is it is certainly things that you have to consider and you got to work through it and you have to have personnel to do those uh to do that type of work um and you know do all the aspects of CEQA uh, and to assure that we are uh, meeting the needs of california uh environmentally and um getting them prepared and, and doing the actual burn so um this year we're uh, gearing up to do some uh, more uh, control burning uh, we have uh, some stuff um, in the hopper for uh, the willets correction the uh, Laytonville area 
and in the Covalo area. Um, but prescribed fire is definitely a great tool. And I think that uh, the more people that we get trained in doing that in a safe manner and doing it the right time of year, um, it's a win-win. It is um, kind of amazing how complex even the simple stuff or seemingly simple stuff is. Uh, you know, as we've got a crew doing um, some roadside thinning on a, on a, on a major in and out kind of roadway at the moment. And, you know, one of the things that we need to explain people uh, to people is the, um, it's, it's kind of, it's half art, half science. There's a whole bunch of property right issues. So you need to make sure you've brought in the property owners and they're, they're a whole world of considerations. There's a whole layer of environmental considerations. If you leave the environment more damaged than it was, then it's probably going to be more of a fire risk uh, down the road. Unhealthy trees are going to burn uh, more, more susceptibly than a healthy, uh, well-tended environment. And then there's the doing as much to thin the fuels as possible. So there's like multiple layers of stuff that um, that just a, a beginning level person with a chainsaw trying to work on a road crew needs to incorporate uh, and be successful with. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really think that uh, the, the more that we get together on these um on these projects, you know, the community uh, agencies, fire safe councils, uh, and, and we're collaborating on that, you know, uh, we're going to win, you know, and what it really boils down to is that collaboration and um, education to the folks that are living in the wildland urban interface. And, uh, you know, it's much different than living downtown Ukiah than it is living on the the outskirts of town where you really have to think about fuels modification and how you're going to deal with your small parcel of property and then like you were just saying the ingress and egress uh, to get uh, first responders in and the public out and it's so important that we spend our time working on those areas um, to assure that you know if there is an emergency we're not bottlenecked and we can get people out in a safe manner. So you mentioned collaboration and education. I'm wondering, does CAL FIRE work with local tribes? Um, I I know a lot of people say I'm one of them that we've sort of created this problem that we all live in now. And, you know, traditional indigenous practices always included, you know, some element of prescribed burning. So I'm just wondering if, if CAL FIRE does partner with any local tribes. Yeah, we absolutely do. And actually over the last... Um, two months uh, I've been reaching out to uh, our local tribes um, and uh, asking for their collaboration and uh, working together on um, their projects that they would like to get done uh, and our projects that we you know we think are important and uh, you know so we haven't made made it to every um, tribe as of yet, but we're working hard to uh, get that done. Um, you know, with everybody's schedules, I've scheduled uh, a couple of times for the folks out in Covalo and in um, in Laytonville, and it's just hard to uh, get uh, our meetings together. But we're certainly working towards that, and um, you know, I think that the collaboration is so important when it comes to fuels modification. 
Well, if you're just joining us, this is the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council Radio Hour. This is the third in a special series of three. This is the Fire Safe Council's second radio series. If you're interested in hearing the first one, you can go to our website, Mendocino County. Oops. What is it? <laughs> What's our website? Actually, I, I don't think the radio, the new radio shows aren't up on the website. Oh, I yet. said the first series. Oh, the first series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, FireSafe. FireSafeMendocino.org. I always want to put Mendocino first. Yeah. FireSafeMendocino.org. You can hear the first series of radio shows that we did last year there. There's tons of resources on defensible space and being fire ready. Today in the studio with me is FireSafe Council Executive Director Scott Craddy, and we are joined on the line by Luke Kendall, Cal Fire's new Mendocino unit chief. We have about 15 minutes left in this conversation. Uh, we're so grateful you've joined us today, Luke. We know you're busy. It's the first day of summer. It's um, the first day over 100 in, maybe we had one in May, but you know, it really feels like we've had such a delightful June, but it's here for us. We can't avoid it anymore. Fire season is upon us. Um, so we, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And I think Absolutely. I'm going to leap ahead to a little bit about education um, since that, that came up um, in Chief Kendall's last um, last points. Uh, one of the things, one of my favorite uh, new findings, actually, we came across an insurance industry study that's a 2020 study that I've been uh, repeating over and over and over to people, which came to the conclusion that if you do a really good job with your home hardening relative to not having done it, the chances of your home surviving a wildfire in the area increase by up to 40%. And if you do your home hardening and your defensible space well relative to a home that hasn't done those things, the odds of your home surviving go up up to 75%. So that's a huge amount of control that you've got in the area. And you know, I think a lot of people think about wildfire preparation and readiness as the big stuff, as road clearing and fuel breaks and um, dealing with overgrown forests. Uh, but what we've discovered, particularly lately, one of, one of the things we're doing at the moment is going out and doing um, home evaluations. And we do kind of a comprehensive home evaluation that includes all the aspects of home hardening and the defensible space and how to think about how fire is going to approach your house and what your radiant heat uh, threats are and uh, where what how you need to think about embers. Um, and one of the things that's really been striking uh, me and our evaluators doing those is that um, it's just a lot that people don't think about. People are thinking about thinking about their trees and wondering if they should take out a big tree and uh, that often is the the least threatening thing in their environment. Probably the most threatening thing is the old couch that they have sitting outside uh, on their back deck that um, if embers are blowing in from that direction is more likely to be the thing that catches their house on fire. Um, so we're very much stressing the you know the home outward. Uh, most most houses catch fire from embers. And those are going to land on your roof or the whatever side of your house that the wind is blowing in from. Uh, and it's going to be like a rain of matches coming down. So you need to sort of think about what you've got on the, on the sides of your house that are going to be um, ignitable, uh, particularly in the first five feet around the house. And I just wanted to sort of open it up to a discussion about um, in, in terms of have, you know people getting their homes ready. Uh, we'll, we'll jump into our website in a moment. But... Um, 
As far as home hardening, are there particular things that um, you would you would want to ask or make sure people are are thinking about out there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you're absolutely correct when it comes to what burns down people's houses. It's it is Embercast, and that's what we've seen over the years. <clears throat> and it's so important, like you said, to assure that. <clears throat> excuse me that you are preparing you are cleaning uh your gutters you're you're sweeping off your roofs uh you know you're keeping the uh the pine needles and uh the leaves and the clutter that comes from the forest uh clean around your house um and you know it, it only takes one ember uh on a dry day to really cause a problem and you know when you are evacuated uh it, it is very easy for uh, an ember to, to get in there and, and cause you problems. So it's, uh, you, you certainly got to do your part prior to um, the emergency happening. And it's one of those things that is, you can't just do it one time in the beginning of the year and you're good. You, you know, that's something that you should put like a checklist once a month that you're checking things, especially if you're living in an area, you know, that's close to, um, trees and things like that because they're constantly um, having you know leaves fall off and and needles fall off and it's it's something that you have to routinely do around your house so just because you do it you know in the spring doesn't mean that you're ready for wildfire it means that you you know it's something that should be on your mind routinely and you've got to assure that you're always thinking that way when you're living in that wildland urban interface yeah, and the um, you know I you know I think the current wisdom is to try to not have anything flammable in that first five feet, but that means for a lot of people, a lot of their favorite plants uh, are in that zone. That's kind of a, a shift in the way we design things that we need to get used to. But you know, in that zone, uh, what we're discovering is you know there's there's things that are sort of safe and less safe. You want to get things away from your windows. You want to not have things right in front of places where they're going to melt your windows. You don't want to have things right in front of your vents where they're going to be throwing off sparks into your vents. Um, and you also want to be just really realistic about um, how well you're going to be able to maintain things. If you've got, if you, if you, if you constantly are keeping up with them and being able to take the dead material out of the middle of your plants so that all that there is healthy and green. Uh, and if you really are going to keep them watered all through the middle of summer so that they are healthy and green and fire resistant, that's one thing. But if you realistically aren't going to maintain them that well uh, and you're going to, you know, pine needles are going to pile up underneath your bushes, then maybe it's time to make the sacrifice and get rid of those. Um, anyway. Yeah, that's a very good point. So roof scudders and, and you know also it's simple easy things. Um, you should make sure there aren't any open highways for embers to get into your home. So if you've got broken vents or vents that are um, vents that don't have a good eighth inch mesh cover at the at the very uh, least, this is a good time to pick those things up because it's a bunch of little things that burn houses down. And every every chance you take away for embers to get under there, the better off you are. Um, and let's, I'm just going to do a quick plug to that just so everybody knows that resource is there. Again, um, under our website, uh, you go to firesafemendocino.org. And right next to the Home tab, there's a Safeguard Your Home tab. And the first thing under that is Preparing for Fire, uh, where we have um, 
And we stepped through a lot of these in the last show. Uh, just to do a super quick recap, the first one is to make sure you're getting the alerts that you need. The next is to have an emergency plan and be ready to evacuate if necessary. And we have, you know, sort of detailed uh, information on each of these. The next is to make your home as easy to defend as possible. And I think maybe I'll pause there. Um, you know, it's super important. I um, get the sense that, um, you know, there's only that many engines. Uh, and so where the engines stop to defend is going to also make a huge difference about what, um, you know, which, which homes survive and don't. A defended home has a much better chance of surviving. Um, and I get the sense that when, you know, firefighters are driving in an emergency, they're looking for certain things. They're looking for homes that look like they've been prepared. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what, what makes a, what makes a home the type of home that a Cal Fire truck is going to say, I want to go there? Yeah, we certainly want to save every home that we can, you know, and uh, it's one of those things. It depends on what type of fire is racing towards your house it is uh, what, you know, certainly what house that we can defend and what we can't defend, you know. And uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, we are definitely looking for the house that uh, is a, a safe place for firefighters to pull in, be able to protect your home. If we have a place that we can turn around uh, and, you know, the, the place is manicured where we know that if the fire hit us, we, we could ride it out on your piece of property with the 500 gallons of water that we have, uh, we're certainly going to do that. If it is overgrown, we can't get our apparatus in there, it's going to make it harder for us uh, to defend your home. And, uh, you know, if there is one home that is like that and there's three homes that have, um, you know, the defensible, the, the clearance and is being prepared uh, properly, then we're going to go to those homes where we know that we can do the best good. Um, we're certainly going to try everything we can to save every home possible. Um, but if we have to make a choice, we're going to make the choice of the ones that we know that we can defend. And um, those are, it's a hard decision, you know, and it's one of those things just got to be done on a split second when you pull into a neighborhood. Um, and we have to do our part by um, being prepared prior to the emergency happening. So, you know, it helps the firemen um, be able to pull up and to be able to defend your investments. Great. Yep. And also, I guess I would toss out, you know, if you've got, if you're out, uh, out in the wilderness area and you've got a good water source, making sure it's obvious where it is and it's well marked um, so that the firefighters know they've got that resource. Um, and also just doing other stuff to make it make sure it looks like you've thought it through. Uh, you know, leave a ladder uh, by the building. If you've got hoses, make sure they're out and visible. Um, so, yeah. yeah, those are all really good things. And, you know, when we pull up to a structure, uh, you know, normally there's many structures within that community. So we do a, a quick assessment as soon as we pull in the, the driveway, we do a quick assessment and, you know, we might do two or three assessments and figure out, okay, which way is the fire coming from? How are we going to defend these and which ones are defendable? You know, you'll see after a major fire, uh, our placards might be out in front of your house. Uh, and that's just a, a quick snapshot of what we see when we first pull up. You know, those are, uh, you. it might be updated two or three times because the first in engine will say this is what it has, but he uh, might have missed, like you said, a water source in the creek 
this down below your house because it wasn't well marked. You know, again, these assessments are done very quickly so we can go on to the next house and be prepared um, for the advancing fire. So um, again, it's just that snapshot in time. Uh, you know, the second engine company might come in and see something that the first engine company didn't because he might be there a little bit longer than the first engine company. So, um, you know, it's it's certainly good to have uh, things around your property that indicates that, like you said, that have water, um, you know, that everybody is out of the, the neighborhood or out of their residence, that kind of stuff, because that's what we're looking for, um, you know, access, you know, that kind of thing. So. We are getting close to the end of our time, so I wanted to um, – got a bunch of other questions, but I also want to make sure you've had a chance to get out any messages that you think are most important for the Mendocino public to be ready for this fire season. Are there things that uh, we haven't covered that you'd like to make sure we have some time for? Uh, yeah, I, I would love – for people to visit the uh, readyforwildfire.org. And on your uh, little deal here, you said, if I could wave a magic wand, what would I do, you know? And uh, what I would do is assure that people are ready for uh, wildfire season, you know? And that's pretty much year round in California. So uh, what what we really want is folks to collaborate, get involved with the local fire safe councils. Um, you know, we can't do this alone. We, we absolutely need the public's help um, and do your part, you know, and with that, it means getting involved, doing your part around your house, getting educated on um, the, the do's and don'ts when it comes to uh, doing your clearance around your homes, when to use your uh, weed eaters and when to, you know, uh, conduct control burns and that kind of stuff. Uh, and certainly, you know, doing your part when you're pulling a, a trailer or doing the maintenance on your, your vehicles, really being mindful of, you know, living in California where it is fire prone and doing your part to assure that you're not causing a fire. You know, like you've said earlier in in the show that, you know, the majority of the fires that start are human caused. And uh, we, if we were all mindful, we could cut down that. So um, that's certainly what I wanna get out. And another thing is, is we certainly want people to get involved, get involved with your local fire safe council. Um, because the more that we collaborate and work together, the better off we're going to be. Yeah, then that's super easy to do too. There's um, so on on the safeguard your home. There's prepare your home, and there's a bunch of information about how to join a neighborhood fire safe council. We've got a map on our website, so you can see if there's one in your area already. And it is a great way to start getting information out. We have uh, regular leadership meetings of those councils. We've got one coming up tomorrow where all the neighborhood councils get together and sort of share information about their projects, which can be super inspirational, great way to spread ideas throughout the county. And then uh, the leadership that attends those meetings disseminates the information about what's going on out into your neighborhoods. So um, a great way to great way to get a little plugged in without uh, creating too much of a burden for yourself. 
Well, thank you so much, Scott Craddy and Luke Kendall, for joining us on this special Fire Safe Council Radio Hour. Um, Luke, we'd love to have you back on again, and good luck out there this season, everybody. Um, I will also mention that KZYX is an amazing place to tune into for real-time fire information, so uh, in your emergency kit, make sure you have a radio. Stay tuned right now for special coverage of the 4th January 6th committee hearing, Day four of the hearings and happy solstice, everybody. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>